Welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian. In this space, you are welcome exactly as you are. Whether you are full of faith or full of doubt, feeling empty or full, questioning or wondering, there is space for you here. Come with an open heart and an open mind. We pray this fills your well today as you hear about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast. Today, we are talking about the joy of letting go with pastor and author Kevin Sweeney, who has been on here before talking about his earlier book. And now he's got this new book that's just been released out to the world on January 3rd. And it is such a a powerful conversation. Uh, Kevin mentions at one point that he's an Enneagram 5, and you can really hear that come through in, in the depth of his knowledge and the quotes he's pulling from. And it's just, it shows in his work too, just this wide breadth of wisdom and embrace of mystery and just helping us shape our faith in a new way. And it's so fun to get to talk to him. We deal a lot in this episode with forgiveness and the sensation of, you know, in order to find that joy and experience new life and resurrection, there has to be the death. And whether it's the death of an idea or the death of a story we tell ourselves, whatever it is, he speaks to it so beautifully. So I I don't want to put words in his mouth, but just a, a little foreshadowing of what is to come. And we're so lucky to have him here with us today. Before I introduce Kevin, why don't we say a quick prayer together? So if you would, maybe today, since we're talking about letting go, if you might open your palms, if you're able to do so, if you're not driving and, and we'll just take a moment to, to be in that posture together. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, feel that movement of your belly, softening the shoulders. And whatever this means for you, drop from your mind into your heart, into your spirit. Good and gracious God, we come to you today unclenching our fists and finding ourselves in this posture of letting go. Help us to trust in your constant presence and the promise of your faithfulness that on the other side of really hard things, on the other side of change and letting go, that there will be new life for us there. And may we trust in your goodness and your grace in those moments and that you will be with us as we make our way to that other side. God, please bless each person who's listening today. Give them a life full of goodness and mercy that, you know, you tell us, God, that life won't always be easy, but you promise your love to be continuous with us. And so we ask that you bless those who are listening today with that kind of life. And God, as always, we ask that you open our hearts and open our minds and fill our well today and every day. Amen. All right, my friends, I am so excited to reintroduce you to Kevin Sweeney about his book, The Joy of Letting Go.
Hey, Kevin, welcome back to Lady Preacher. Yes, second time on here. Happy to be back. I probably told you last time, I was like, I'm going to hit you up soon for the next one, hoping, but I'm really serious, so have me back. So no, I'm really, just like the first time, grateful, grateful to be here and to be with you and the listeners. So yeah, really, really happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, your first episode is one of our more popular ones. So clearly what you had to say resonated with folks. And so I'm excited to have you back and talk about this new book that you have. But before we do that, for folks who are listening, who maybe don't know who you are, can you give us a little briefer on who are you, Kevin? Yeah, that always depends on, you know, how far we go back. You know, for me, my first book being on here, The Making of a Mystic, where the subtitle was My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor, and Why It's Okay for Everyone to Relax. I mean, I can always go back to that moment I talk about in different parts in that book because, you know, a kid wasn't in a church culture as a teenager, didn't know anything about youth groupy stuff, was on my own journey, and started asking questions at a very young age. You know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I actually happy? Is any of this leading me to the outcomes the culture is telling me it's supposed to you know with success in sports and supposed to play in college and music um I was a kid who was like I'm aware I have everything the culture at least for us you know the kids who like did drugs and were into what we're into and we're like this is what makes us happy this is what makes us whole is to have this much attention you know to have this much applause I have all these things and yet there's this inner restlessness I can't escape So questions, wondering, experimenting with psychedelics, seeing them as a guide, having this spontaneous awakening moment at 18 with God. And and in that moment, a complete rewiring of my consciousness changing my life. And I said, I'm giving my life to whatever this is. And I walked away from everything, moved to Hawaii to be with my girlfriend is now my wife. And from then on, there's just been a consistent unfolding, you know, learning and recognizing that force that I experienced, that transformative presence, being present in this person of Jesus when I hear these stories, feeling called to be a pastor, going to Bible college, going to seminary, studying, you know, Black and womanist theology, liberation theology, and embracing this call to be a pastor despite many unconscious fears of I had of actually taking that on and Leading my wife and I started and led a church here in Hawaii in Kakaako in the unofficial arts district of Honolulu the past 10 years, you know, planted, started, you know, growing this amazing, beautiful community. And then just this past May, closing it down and having our last Sunday ever, two days before my first book came out. So now focusing more on writing, you know, do some coaching with a great organization called Caneo. My wife and I both do it. My wife's on the board there, coaching burnt out and traumatized clergy and leaders. There's quite a few, I bet. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, besides those things, in I'm the book, The Joy of Letting Go is coming out. And I am in my own season of a bit after a big form of letting go. A decade essentially of my life being given to this community that was birthed out of us. And then you let go of it and you move on. And there's a new uncertain, unknown liminal space that I find myself in. So when I talk about this book, I'm in just on the other side of a threshold of a massive form of letting go. So amazing last 20 years, amazing last 10 with the church. And it appears I'm in a 
a new beginning myself, you know, finding my way through the unknown, like many of us do just after letting go and death of old things. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a, I'm going to, it's an interesting season for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Well, talk to me about the joy piece, because in your book, you talk a lot about, you know, letting go is letting go control and all these different things. And there's, you relate death to it. And like, when I think of those things, that that doesn't always feel joyful. (laughs) So I'm curious, what, what for you, where do you find the joy in it? I, you know, John 14 through 17, this extended conversation Jesus has with the disciples in the gospel of John. What is so fascinating, one of my favorite things in the scriptures is is in that conversation, right? This culminating, you're anticipating coming to the climax of this great story, this great narrative to whatever degree, you know, Jesus has this sense of where this is going. Some people would say he knows exactly because of course he's known everything before the foundations. However, people think about that. I personally don't really care. But in this defining moment, he keeps emphasizing joy to the disciples, right? I've done all this for the sake of joy, that my joy may be complete. I don't know if those are verbatim. It's just the sense of what he was saying. And I have the audacity to believe that this whole journey of faith, which is really just our life, conscious of the divine who's created us and still with us and calling us and empowering us, that somehow this is all about joy. And that is not easy to say all the time. That sounds naive to some people. That sounds, it takes an, it's it's audacious to say that. And, but to me, that's an audacity that's born out of the good news that I've given my life to. And the, the mystics at the depths of ourselves, the depths of reality itself, you keep brushing up and bumping into and being confronted by paradox, you know, with everything feels like nothing and in nothingness, you discover everything. Uh, the cross isn't the the cross. The death isn't the end. It's actually a new beginning, right? You, over and over in the depths of darkness is actually where you find the brightest light. Again and again, you do that. And for me, the joy of letting go is another one of those things where letting, like the the, the great writer David David Foster Wallace says, everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because we cling. We over-identify with parts that we think, parts of ourselves that we think are ourselves, but aren't actually us. We we fear if we let go of this, maybe it's not going to get better. Maybe it never gets better than my than my twenties. Maybe it never gets better than that great season. You know, as a leader, there's these seasons that the season's so great and teams are clicking and staff is together, whatever it is. It's very easy to get stuck there in our minds and our hearts, because three years later things change couple of those people left there's a season that's ending and that's really hard and we want to go back but we don't actually want to it's not the form of the moment that we desire it's the substance and the flow within it and to me that keeps going the structures can change but the substance of life and god stays the same the form can change but the flow of the spirit in and through our lives remains the same and we're so scared of change we're so scared to let go because we're so scared of death because letting go feels like dying and actually to push that one step further letting go is dying letting go of something and dying to something are the exact same thing 
-hmm. it requires the same inner process, the same inner mechanisms, letting go of and dying to something. Those are for me synonymous, which means our resistance to letting go is actually a form of a resistance to death. And the death doesn't mean our overarching struggle with the one big death that happens at the end of life. It's actually more about our refusal to accept the thousands of little deaths that take place during life. Is there joy after that season's over? Is there joy when that job is done? Is there joy when that relationship dies or changes? Sometimes it's just changing and seasons change. And the relationships that end, the seasons that change, the expectations that aren't met, the illusions we have, the plans that fell apart. These are the constant expressions of death we refuse to let go of. And that refusal to let go, that is which that is the thing that keeps getting in the way of our life, right? The great you know, theologian, scientist, Ilya DeLeo writes, only by dying into God can we become one with God. Letting go of everything that hinders us from God. So I say a lot to say, the joy always emerges after letting go in the same way resurrection always emerges after the cross. That's why this whole book is like, I wish I didn't have to write this book. Yeah. I wish I didn't have to say to the people I love and care about, hey, you think it's a million things, but I bet if we really got to the center of this, there's probably something really hard you need to accept right now about life, which means there's some really painful things to let, to let go of. The way you thought the world worked, where you thought you were supposed to be by this age, how you thought your life was supposed to turn out because you were a good little boy in, in youth group and you did everything right or whatever it is. But... Now that you've wrestled with that and you have claw marks and you've submitted to it and you finally stop fighting and you surrender, all of a sudden, all this space and joy emerges. So my whole thing is like, I that's what it is to be a Christian. We're trusting the story of life, death, and res resurrection. And we're trusting the story of letting go and discovering joy on the other side. Yeah. And I think the disciple that really embodies that the best when I think about Jesus' story is Peter. And mm. like Peter is so relatable as a human being because mm. he really struggles to let go. Like I think of that, that scene where Jesus tells them, you know, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Uh, you know, it's going to upset a lot of people. They're going to arrest me. I'll be hung on a cross. I'll die and I'll rise again. And of course, mm. disciples, they don't hear the rise again part. They just hear all mm. this stuff at the beginning. And Peter gets in Jesus's face and Jesus comes mm. nose to nose with him. And it's like, get behind me, Satan, because Peter's refusal to let mm. go, his refusal to say, oh, okay, Jesus, like we understand you have to die. Like he, those are the, his claw marks that I think are also mm. Mm. embodying our own. Yes. And that's one, it's so true. And I use that exact interaction in the book and I forget what chapter it is, but in that moment that you described so well, what's funny is right before that is, you know, Jesus is in Mark eight, Jesus is asking them, who do, who do you, who do people say that I am? Yeah. And Peter gets it right in word. He's like, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, we're going to the cross. And Peter's like, mm-mm. Right. So he had the, you know, he had the like, you're the Messiah. But when Jesus redefined his understanding of what the Messiah, what the path to life is, et cetera, that's where the thing, that's where the issue came. And I'm like, I wrote in the book, Peter, I wrote, he loves the way, the truth and the life, but he's resisting the pain, the struggle and the death. Yeah. See, for Peter, the darkness is unthinkable, but for Jesus, it is inevitable. And since Peter cannot accept the cross, he could not 
he could not embrace the Christ. And we all still do that sometimes in our lives. We fear, we reject, and we can't accept how painful things might be. They don't fit the way we thought they were supposed to be. And as a result, we're unable to trust and know how present God is. Our expect Peter had expectations on the shape of the Messiah, on the nature of the Messiah, on how this was supposed to go. And his expectations were getting in the way of the, the fullness of his, his experience of Christ. Like sometimes if we cannot accept how hard it might be or how real things are, we just can't experience how good this is. And Peter's expectations that he was clinging and holding on to without even realizing it were causing him to confront you know, the uh, Peter, I'm like, just the audacity to do that, I respect, even even if you're wrong. I'm like, just the fact you would do it. It's like some people who I theologically think are so dangerous and problematic in the world. I'm like, but just the fact you would say that so boldly, like, that's amazing. It's just ridiculous what you're saying. And yes, that moment is there's expectations, right? And we, from in we retroactively can look at that story and be like, how could Peter think that? We know, we know the story, Jesus rises, but we all still do that. When our expectations don't go the way we thought they were going to go, and now we're clinging and fighting and wrestling, and we're trying to cram an untamable, wild reality into our small preconceived notions of what it's supposed to be. Every time we're fighting with that, we are in that same moment connecting with that same spirit of Peter who was trying to cram his expectations of the Messiah into the wild and tameable Jesus who was right in front of him. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think for Peter, you know, the, the thing that makes him so equipped to be the rock, the foundation, you know, how he becomes mm. the cornerstone of the church is the fact that he fought so hard. And that for me is a sign of hope for those of us who like <laughs> cling so hard. It's like, oh, when you mm. finally do let go and the way you write about with Peter, like it allows for that great transformation that he's able to experience. Mm. And I think mm. for, for those of us who, who feel that humanness of clinging. And I think, mm. you know, you write about this a lot in your book too, the, like the struggle and the suffering that, that we face, like that goes hand in hand with the joy. Right. And I think we're clinging so hard and not realizing that that clinging is often what leads to the suffering, like that Buddhist principle, right? Like when you cling to things, that's the the suffering. And then we get to experience the joy when we're finally able to let go and not hold on so hard. You know, I thought about when I, when I had the idea for this book, putting the title instead of letting go something about acceptance like acceptance is everything or the art of acceptance or whatever, because acceptance and letting joy, I mean, letting go are interconnected and cannot be separated because there's always letting go is only possible after the acceptance of something, even with forgiveness too. We want forgive. We want to bypass the hard parts of like acceptance and actual letting go and feeling the full way through forgiveness and just be like, well, I already let go of that. It's like, you can't let go of something unless you first take it into yourself and actually hold on to it. That's the acceptance and the feeling and the embodiedness of it. And so much of this life is learning to embrace and experience all of this as one thing. So I say in the book at one point, acceptance is the container that holds the past and present darkness and light, joy and pain, and shakes them up and transforms them all into one thing. Where the, the lines between holiness and heaviness 
that we so want to separate in our lives are actually a lot thinner than we think. The lines between joy and pain are a lot thinner. And it that, that doesn't mean it's the same thing. One is painful. You know, one holds you together. But I'll tell people when it comes to hard and painful things, you do not have to enjoy those things because they're painful. You know, a loss of something doesn't go your way. Of course, it's painful. It hurts because it's painful. I'm like, you don't have to enjoy it, but you do have to learn to embrace it. And that is some, that is one of the last things a human being will learn how to do is learn how to take in wholeheartedly, embrace and take into themselves pain and suffering with the same open-handedness they would happiness and joy and good things. You have to do that. That's, that's the, we want to fight it. We want to distract ourselves from it. We want to numb ourselves to it. We want to hide from it. We want to deny it. But all of a sudden, even with, you know, the joy and letting go paradox is if I can wholeheartedly embrace and take this suffering, this loss, this pain into me and feel it all the way through, that's another one of the hard parts people resist because letting go and grief work and forgiveness, which are all connected, it's very physiological. When I take that into myself, my heart's in my stomach. My body might be getting flush when I really come to terms with what's happening. My skin, we all have different ways that offense and grief and pain register in our body. Same thing with nerves. And it's taking all of that emotional and physical discomfort into ourselves and feeling it all the way through. And then, and only then, when it's been exhausted of its energy, do we discover this actually didn't have the power to kill me. And now I can finally let it go. So to me, once you do that, you no longer recoil from the hard things. It doesn't mean you like them, but you have learned to accept and take them into you with the same kind of welcome you do with good things. And all of a sudden, all these things that have had so much power over you and controlled you for so long, you're like, they're really, really painful, but they're not the end and they're not death. They're just, they just suck. So I tell people pain, like failure isn't the end. It just sucks. It's embarrassing to the ego. Well, the embarrassment to the ego in those moments will expose the parts of your ego that you're holding on to that are actually getting in the way of your freedom in the first place. So the humiliation to the ego exposes things you actually need to let go of. So that connection of embracing the hard parts, again, is such a part of the experiencing the whole of this world and taking it into ourselves without any kind of resistance and denial. Absolutely. And I think that plays such an important role you know, you brought up forgiveness and you have this beautiful chapter on forgiveness. And I think, you know, you put it so beautifully of that, like we have this hardness that we put up, you know, when someone harms us or hurts us or whatever it might be. And that doesn't allow the hurt to actually move through us so that we can let it go. And so I'm curious if we can say more about forgiveness, because especially that relation to dying, when I was reading your chapter, it made me think of a quote from Brene Brown, she talks about something her priest had said at her church, which was in order for forgiveness to happen, something has to die. And you, you embody that so well in your writing. So I'm curious if you can say more for you, what is the connecting point for you on forgiveness and acceptance and letting go? This was right, um, right before Brene Brown, like really blew up. You know, I think her first, her, her Ted talk had come out. It was before all the other books. And it was, do you ever look at the work of the people, that website? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I saw she did an interview on there. This is a long time ago. 
And I remember hearing her say that, you know, her priest said maybe like an Episcopal, I don't know if it's an Episcopal church or where she was at, said in order for you to like, whenever you forgive, something has to die. Well, you could all, the same way of saying that is in order to forgive, there's something you have to let go of because dying to something and letting go of something are the same thing. So I want to forgive here, but before I forgive, like even that word forgive, one of the words for forgiveness in the New Testament is this word afiemi which can mean to like, to let something be, I think, or to release. And then to finally like, just to forgive or to, or to let go. And you cannot forgive and let something go until you first have taken it into yourself and embraced it. Like I said before. So, you know, I, one of the, the early, like being a church planner pastor, you know, you deal with loss, you know, relationships, it's hard pastoring. That's why we talked about clergy being burnt out and traumatized. There's a, People don't know how much you, as a pastor, oftentimes I think that's why it's so challenging and maddening is you have a consistent experience of the hardest things people spend their most lives trying to avoid. The vulnerability, the opening yourself up to criticism, the public being able to fail publicly, and also a perpetual perpetual cycle of loss of relationships. It's really hard. That, that was one of the hardest things for me, I think, through my 10 years is like, not a, not all bad. It's just, that was great. And now they're gone and they moved and two and a half years went by and now I'm preaching and I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at because I miss so many of the people who were here. Do I have the courage to let this church be born again to open my heart? Like That's what we go through at times, you know, and one of the first big falling outs I had, you know, probably the hardest relational loss I had during my time pastoring, you know, during that time in order for me to forgive, and it was really tough. It was, I asked the question, you know, I do this four part, like when you forgive, like finding, facing, feeling, and forgiving. And there's questions. What do you have to see? What do you have to feel? What do you have to accept? Whatever they are. And when I do that, so it's like, what if you see this right now what do you have to accept in this moment sometimes you can love people with all of your heart and the best you can and they're still gonna walk away if i want to forgive and let go right now like whenever you forgive something has to die in order for me to forgive and move on what do i have to let go of i have to let go of that part of my ego that part of my mind that thinks Well, we live in a world where it's supposed to work like this. If I love people well, then they're always supposed to reciprocate or respond the way I want them to. If I support people like this, they're supposed to show up for me in the same way. That would be nice, but that isn't the reality we live in. So in that moment, looking back, that would be one of those things of, oh, sometimes as a a leader, as a human being, I'm going to love people the best I can, and they're still going to walk away. What needs to die in me? That part of me that feels like, no, it's supposed to be like this. If I love people, they're supposed to do this. If I do this, they're supposed to respond like this. That's an illusion of how life works. If I do this, they do that. That isn't how life works. And the degree to which I hold on to that is the degree to which I will never be free from it and won't be able to forgive and let go. So in that moment, what has to die for me to forgive this person? That part of me that feels like, the only way I can love wholeheartedly is if people respond well. Well, then you're not going to love people because people aren't going to do what you want. Nobody is in the exact way you want it. And so, oh, that, but that's a hard thing to accept. 
That's a really hard thing to let go of. But once I do it, feel my way through it, all of a sudden there's this new resurrection energy within that's like, I can continue to love people even more wholeheartedly now that I've let go of the need for them to respond in this way to me, no matter how much I give. Very hard thing to let go of, all kinds of joy and freedom on the other side of it. So in those moments, what do I have to accept and what do I have to feel when I accept it are always the sticking point, whether or not we're going to get through it or retreat in forgiveness and letting go, because that is where the death is. The death is happening right there in, in and around that space. Yeah. What would you say for folks? I've had this conversation so many times recently, the like the folks who are trying to forgive the things they've never gotten the apology for. Like we hold mm-hmm. on to that bitterness, you know, towards the certain people or certain experiences because we never got the right. apology, even even if we deserve that apology. So what would you say to those folks of like, not feeling like they've, they've gotten the apology they wanted. And now they're trying to forgive even without that. What I would say forgiveness is about your capacity to experience joy. Forgiveness is about your ability or your possibility of being at peace. Forgiveness is about your open hearted, that daring, courageous, gritty, the, to me, which is connected with the actual narrow, a path of what Jesus talks about way of remaining open to others, to love and to God in a world that constantly wants to try to make us shut down. So that's why I would say, what does your, now I'm going to say that first to give people some encouragement. And then I'm going to say, what does, what that per, how that person responded to you have anything to do with your capacity to forgive and let go of what they did? Let's talk about death and illusions. If you have a thought, which I would say is an illusion of the only way for me to fully forgive somebody who hurt me is for them to apologize. You will be stuck forever. You will never forgive. You will never know the joy and the life on the other side of forgiveness because those people may never offer you that apology. There will be people who don't do that. So I would say your forgiveness It's not about condoning anything they've done. And actually, it's the opposite. Forgiveness is about the fullness of naming the truth and depth and weight and wrongness. I don't even know if that's a word of what they've done to you. Because I have to name that. When they did this, that crushed me. I did this. And when they responded with that, that wasn't okay. That was traumatizing. That was hurtful. That was vindictive. That was ugly. I can't believe whoever would ever do that to whatever. It isn't condoning. It's naming the fullness of it. But I cannot allow, like, I think in Jesus's life, he continues to show us what it means to love people and be liberated from them at the same time. I can love you and be liberated from the need for you to reciprocate, the need for you to respond the way I think you're supposed to, the need for you to apologize when you've done wrong, the need for you to do anything other than be where you are in order for me to be free. Forgiveness is God's gift to me for my own freedom. And I've never said that before, but I'm just saying that right now. Forgiveness is God showing me this is the gift I'm offering you. If I will carry you through this to your own freedom, it does not matter what they've done. That's their journey. 
And this is the invitation I have for you for more, for more life in Christ. And the beauty of, I think, the universal compassion Jesus shows us is to be liberated from the need for to get back at somebody or revenge is to be like, I actually can look at a person and say, the, if a person did that to me, they've done that to others, which means they've ruined other relationships. And if they keep doing that, they're going to keep ruining relationships, which means they're probably going to end up struggling with being isolated. One, that's already punishment in and of itself, a life of isolation and burn bridges. And two, I don't even want that for them. That's not even my revenge. My uh, actually, my freedom is to say, I wish, I wish they wouldn't do that. Not for me, because I am okay. Because God's already invited me to forgiveness. Because I want them to know the freedom that God's inviting me into. But if they keep doing that, they won't get there. So all of a sudden, not only am I liberated, but I'm desiring their liberation and their freedom as well. Because I don't want that for them. I know. People don't want to do the horrible things they do. They just can't help themselves because of a lack of liberation, self-control, etc. You know, they the person in their 60s who's isolated, burned every bridge and is now alone. Think about around the holidays, who's alone and bitter. They didn't, you think their 20-year-old self wanted that? It was a thousand small, unconscious, damaging hurtful micro decisions that led them to where they are right now. I don't want that for them. I uh, Maybe I was a part of the carnage, but I'm on my own path towards joy and I don't even want that for them. So to me, I'm like, what does anybody else's response have to do with the invitation God gives to you to your own freedom, which is through forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And now it's always poetic and beautiful when you say it in these moments but when it's your time to do it, that's where the call marks come in because it's scary and there's feelings of anger and rage sometimes. And when you get beneath that, there's just tremendous feelings of pain that, that you have to feel, but that God will faithfully carry you through. Right. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, I often refer to it as like the feelings tunnel, you know, and you've talked about this mm. a lot with the, like the acceptance and taking it into your body so you can move through it. There's this beautiful parenting article that surfaced a few years ago that was about this mom who had a little boy who would often throw these tantrums. And she's like, I, I don't know what to do. And someone said to her once, like, let him get all the way through the tunnel and like be yeah. with him as he goes through that tunnel. And she's yeah. like, when I finally just let him cry and just stayed with him and assured him it was okay, it's going to be safe. And then he got to the end of the tunnel and he was like, this you know, happy mm. child and could figure it out. I feel like God does that for us too. Like when you're talking about Absolutely. that inv invitation, God is that steady presence as we're going through that tunnel mm. of whatever that journey is. Yeah. And to me, that speaks to people who don't always talk about the humility and the vulnerability of God to be present to us on our terms. Like that to me is one of the, the freeing things pastorally is to love people, but you do so on their terms in a sense where it's like a pastor says, I'm willing to go as deep into your life as you allow me and you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Well, now I've just handed over, I've handed over power to you. I've handed over, you know, the need to control this relationship. You want to stop at four feet deep? That's fine. I'll be present to you here. You want to go to seven? I also can be present to you there. And that requires a great sense of humility and a surrendering of control, letting go of the need for people to, again, be respond how you think they're supposed to respond and that, but that is simply us mirroring to others that which the spirit does to us constantly. 
when we're fighting and resisting and going through that experience, you just described so well of that analogy of the mom and the child. Because finally, when we surrender and stop, God's like, I've, I, I know, I've been waiting. It's, it's fine. It, you, instead, you could have done this in five minutes, but you took you five months to, to get here. And I'm going to be as present to you as I can be once you're ready to go. That's an amazing thing about this life with God is that right there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about roadblocks and you've, I feel like you've like alluded to them throughout this conversation, but what are those things that lead to the claw marks? Like what are we holding on so tightly to? And how would you name those for folks who are listening, who are like, what are, what are the things keeping me from letting go? Yeah. I mean, that's like the, the heart, right. The engine of the book was me over the past 10 years or however long, always realizing you know, just beneath the surface of so much of, you know, when people are coming up against these roadblocks, people are feeling stuck, people are circling, you know, people are wrestling, you know, and grappling with things. If you can get through a lot of the white noise, like, we wish it was a million other things than just acceptance and letting go. Right? We wish we could just move faster. We wish we could rage against the machine harder. We wish we could like be more organized with our Excel or whatever people use. I'm, I don't even know. I'm not very organized. But we wish, because those are all things we can do out of our own willpower and our own ego strength. So we wish we could just grit our teeth and go harder. Figure things out with ourselves. But I'm like, in the end of all that, like the kid in the feelings tunnel, there's probably just something really hard. Hey, that person's not coming back. it's horrible it sucks you know but we have to let go of the need for them to come back and now but once we do we can keep going you know but that's the painful part and so this whole book is each chapter is about being present or about compassion or about working for justice or about growing and evolving as a person of faith and saying letting go is required to do each one of these well and not just to do them well externally for others, but to do them well in a way where we're becoming more free and more filled with joy ourselves. So when you ask the question, what are the roadblocks? There are some universal things, but it's really unique to each one of those things. So even if I have a chapter, I think it's the first one about being present. Because mm-hmm. you hear that and you're like, what does letting go have to do with being present? Right? Like you wouldn't even think there's a connection there. And in the book, I say the first thing we have to let go of in order to be present is any form of judgment, need to control or impulse to change or fix any part of the present. Because when you need to fix something, you cannot be present. When you need to change someone, we've all had that experience at times, you cannot be present. And when you try and control the moment, you cannot be present to the moment. And so, even that right there is it's it's so simple when you really think about it because if your mind cannot accept any specific part of the moment you cannot be present to the wholeness the depth the mystery the joy of the moment because your mind cannot be present when you're constantly judging analyzing and trying to make the present what you think it's supposed to be i remember over 10 years ago, because I was still living in California, just like on a rooftop sunset, spending time in silence. And this thought just came to me. And it was just the less particular you need things to be in order to be at peace, the more you'll be at peace. Because it's not the it's not the specific shape of the moment I want. It's the substance within the moment that I actually want. 
So if I can allow the shape to adapt and be fluid and change, I can experience the substance in a million different places. But if I need the shape to be like this, this, or this, my ability to be at peace is limited to those three things. And I will spend my life trying to cram and fix and judge and shame and coerce and manipulate everyone and everything to fit the way I think it's supposed to be. So, you know, the great activist and mystic Simone Weil said, the beautiful is that which we cannot wish to change. So beauty arises within us and our relationship with beauty, when we experience it, when we know it, when we surrender to it and become a part of it, you can't be there judging and wishing for anything to be different because then you cannot embrace the beauty of the moment, the imperfections of our relationships, the communities that we lead, you know, the like when you have kids, if if you ever want to be present to your kids, my gosh, you have to do this a hundred times a day. I can only enjoy my kids eating ice cream if I'm just like, I don't care. It's all over you. It's on your face. If, if I'm like, oh no, don't get it on your shirt. Like freaking, you're not supposed to, don't. I'll, I'll now as a parent, I'm just frustrated. And I'm just pissed while they're eating ice cream, you know? And I'm like, if I can just beg, they're gonna make a mess. If I can just accept the messiness of it, I can now be fully in tune with like the mystery of it, you know? So that's one example of a roadblock is for a lot of us to be present going, you know, whatever, whenever this episode comes out, we're speaking right now five days or so before Christmas, man, you, you cannot be present when you're constantly analyzing, judging and trying to fix the moment that those are micro practices of surrendering and letting go all the time. Oh, I, I felt a part of my ego contract. I was a little bothered. They did that. Hey, that's just my little need for them. Hey, they made a little bit of a mess. Hey, I can just let go of that. Of course, we're going to make a mess. There's kids in my house right now. It's okay. If I can surrender that, oh man, now, now my kid's laughter is, is just everything I need right now. Again, because I'm surrendering that need to fix the moment. So it, there's that's the whole book is everything we do. There's a few of those key things just beneath the surface that allow us to stay open, to stay fluid and to stay moving. Yeah. Yeah. So much of what I I hear and what you're saying, what I read in your book was the letting go of expectations of how things should be. You know, like Mm -hmm. I love the phrase from so many therapists use this of like, stop shooting on yourself, like Mm -hmm. how things should be. My kids should be able to eat ice cream without getting a mess. Like we should be able Mm -hmm. to have this perfect Christmas or, you know, especially as this comes out in the new year, like these should expectations, the Mm -hmm. story we tell ourselves and so much of the letting go is is letting go of that story, letting go of those expectations. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I want to say about that David Foster Wallace quote about like claw marks is like, I get that, but it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. Everything you let go doesn't have to have claw marks because the more you do it, the better you get at it. The more you trust the letting go and the death, you know, these are things we have to learn to trust. That to me, that's what faith is, is trusting that God carries you through those moments. The more you do it, the easier it becomes because you recognize your own patterns. You know what you have to let go of quicker. You can surrender it. Instead of three months, it was actually 30 seconds. It was actually 10 seconds. I felt it arise. Oh, that's just my little ego's need to do this and not want to deal with this after. Oh, I can, I can let go of that. Sign. No, 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 I'm not telling anybody. Hey, by the way, I just want to let you know because I'm very evolved. I just let go of my need to not make you do that because it's like, no, (laughs) the majority of the real work, love moves in silence. You know, the contemplatives know the real work is you're not announcing it. You're just doing it to make room for the flow of love between all of us. In one of the, 
one of the trilogies I return to, I love the Bourne movies. Like, I'm not a big action, like, gratuitous violence, because I'm like, if I know how the plot goes, but the first five minutes of the movie, like, most actions or rom-coms, I lose interest, you know? I'm like, oh, I get it, this, they're great, then it gets bad, then we're together again, <laughs> you know? It's not really my thing. Same thing with, like, gratuitous action movies I don't love, but the Bourne movies are very intense and thrillers, and I love them. And in the first movie, at one point, when he comes out of this bank, and I, I forget the the character's name in the movie, but the girl who's going to go with him on his journey, you know, all the, it was like something happens when they leave and she's like, but we got to, it should have been like this, or we could have done this, or it could have happened. And in a second, he's like, that's not like, that's not where we are. We have to, cause he's done enough where he's like, we can't stay there. We have to accept where we are right now in order to survive. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be quite that intense and heartless for people we love. But there's a wisdom to quickly like, it should have went like this. It could, no, this is where we are. The moment we let go of the way th we thought things were supposed to be, we accept the way it is. Mm -hmm. All this space is here now to create what God says it can be. We, we keep, we're, we're always somewhere in between that in our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So my last question for you before we get to our rapid fire is I'm curious, as we move into the new year, we're talking about embodying our faith. So what for you, how does letting go embody our faith? Can you speak to mm. that? Yeah, I think I, I mentioned it to a degree already, but, you know, forgiveness is spiritual and biological. Especially in the sense when you think about how, for, when you do study, when you read the studies about forgiveness and the rewiring of the brain, I talk about that a bit in the book, I think. Mm -hmm. But forgiveness is spiritual, it's the depth of our life, but it also registers physically in our lives, even in our neural pathways, which is insane. It's amazing. It's really quite astonishing. And so everything we do is embodied like that. Even our internal work that feels only spiritually emotional, I think is more embodied and physical than we think. But specifically for letting go is letting go, death, change. These are all interconnected. Anytime you really grieve, anytime you let go of something, anytime you accept something, anytime you're dying to something, you always feel it. It registers physically in your body. I've sat in this room where I am, because this is where I do the majority of my silence, especially last year, moving towards like coming to terms right now with the end of, are we really going to decide to close down the church we started and being in a really hard season? And many other times too, I've sat in times of silence, knowing what's before me, what I need to accept, what I need to let go of. And then that's where grief comes in and just, I'm sitting here in silence and where most people think of meditation and prayer as like, I'm supposed to be elevating right now as like, as if I'm, you know, the, the saints are like not human. When in reality, Henry now at one point said, you know, I'm beginning to realize that most or a lot of prayer is just grieving. And in those moments, I'm accepting really painful things and I'm letting go of things in my life. And as I'm sitting there in silence, I could feel that pain just like, flowing through my body almost like an electrical current of just like my I'm feeling it in my chest I'm feeling it in my stomach I'm feeling it all over as I'm sitting here being like this moment of pain right now is why people spend their whole lives trying to avoid this but I have to sit here and be yeah th this is really hard and I really wish this wasn't what was happening right now but it is this is my life 
And Paula D'Arcy says, God comes to you disguised as your life, as your own life, however she says it. I'm like, the fullness of the incarnational moment of life in my life right now is this. This is a moment of taking in the pain. And you feel it and you register it. And oftentimes, that's why the body of Christ is so important. Because so often we need other bodies to help carry us through that moment. We need the spirit to show up as the body of Christ around us to hold us, lay hands on us and carry us through those moments because it's so painful. It is possible to do those hard things by yourself, but for most, for the most part, it's going to happen with a third party witnessing it, therapists, friends, partners, communities, etc. So it's very physical, you know, the grief work, the letting go always registers physically. So it's not just a spiritual thing. It's your body will know when it's happening and your, your body has to embrace it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me yeah. think of that great book, The Body Keeps the Score, mm-hmm. and how so much of trauma work is, okay, we go back into the story in order to move through it. Yes. Well, are you ready for some rapid fire? Rapid fire. Let's go. Okay, finish the sentence. God is. Love. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite verse or story in the Bible today? Today, right now, it is... In Luke 2, and the, with the angels and the shepherds in the Christmas story, we keep, uh, and for the church that I love and I want to continue loving and serving and being a part of, we keep, it, the angels go to the shepherds and we're still looking for the, 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 the head of, you know, society, the, the political leaders or celebrities. No, no, it goes to shepherds. It goes to the manger. It's born in dirt the Christ child is born in the shadow of an empire and we're still fighting to get our seats in the Colosseum. That's not what this is. I'm just over and over. Like, that's not what this story is. And it's so blatant. It's just so, it's so in your face. It keep, it starts here. It begins here. It's this, this, this shadow, this small group, this subversive community, this small thing. We want big, the story's small. We want extravagant. It's very ordinary. Then all of a sudden, like it isn't ordinary because all the beautiful things are coming out of what appears to be ordinary. So those stories right now, I'm like, it's everywhere if we just pay attention. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That'll preach for Christmas. <laughs> all right. If I were to walk into a party or like a large gathering of people and look for you, where would I find you? You'd find me on standing against the wall or on the edge of the room with a drink and having a conversation with one person. Mm-hmm. And that, that is the, that is if for people who are familiar, that is the hardcore Enneagram fiveness of me. <laughs> I immediately want to go to a place. I want to be able to see everything without everybody being able to see me. And I will not probably be in a group of five, just like taking turns spouting off lines in a performative sense. Not that it's all performative and fake, but I'd probably more organically be like, let me reconnect with one person or connect with one person and actually like go a bit deeper just because that's how I naturally engage. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Okay, what is on your bedside table right now on your nightstand? Um, I don't have a nightstand. My wife does. But I will say the closest thing to my bed is a Peloton bike that you can see like right here. <laughs> that was an early, my wife's birthday, like early um, uh, COVID shutdown 2020 purchase. So yeah, we're, we're a Peloton fam over here, which I know is horrible because we have biking weather all year. It's like 80 degrees year round. I'm like, no thanks. I'll just still do it right here. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know. I was thinking about that when we started our call. I was like, we're expecting a huge snowstorm here and you've got beautiful Hawaii in your background. So, <laughs> you know, I will say we, we, on Sunday or Saturday, we had news of like a massive cold front was coming through mm. to Hawaii, which means yesterday it was 70 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not joking. And because it was windy, I was like, this is the coldest day of the year. This is it. And everyone, no, everyone, like that's when everybody in Hawaii is like, I get to bust out my jackets. I never wear and everyone's all stoked. So yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. What do you love about Jesus? I love that the gospels and the stories of Jesus allow us to know where we stand with God. Mm. Because, you know, Cornel West says, you know, justice is what love looks like in public. And in my newest book, which I'll hit you up again when that the next one comes, I say that, but then I say in Jesus is what God looks like in public. Mm -hmm. That's the incarnation of, of Jesus. So whatever Jesus does, God is. Jesus forgives somebody right there because God forgives everyone. Jesus is always identified with the marginalized. What's because God is always has his eyes pointed to the marginalized, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, Jesus comes close. Jesus extends mercy. Jesus transcends the laws that you believe were put there even by God in order to love people. Oh, I can say it over and over. And to me, that reveals a God whose spirit is always doing that for all of us, for everybody. And so, you know, in relationships, that's a hard thing when you don't know where you stand with somebody. It raises a lot of our insecurities and our worst negative patterns. Move in, win them over, retreat. I never liked him in the first place. Whatever defense mechanisms we have. <clears throat> and Jesus being born out of this world and into that first century context shows us this, this is, this is who God is. You know, I think it's in John 1 18. I forget what the English word says of like Jesus. It's like reveals or something, the father, but the word is actually exegesado. So it's like Jesus exegetes God. And that to me is one of the key things, the exegesis, the explaining, the interpreting. So the God is unfolding in and through Jesus for us. Jesus is exegeting God for us. I'm like, that means we know where we stand. And that's the good news is all I see is a love that is consistently moving towards people and challenging any roadblock, any form of power, personal, political, institutional that's getting in the way of love being more of the defining reality here. So I find that to be one of the most realest things in my life. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. This is, I feel like a paradoxical question for an episode about letting go, but what do you know for sure? That whenever we trust the death, mm. whenever we forgive and whenever we do let go, there's always more life ahead, more joy, more peace, more courage, more of everything we desire to be is always on the other side of the last places we want to go. Yeah, And it's always, it's always waiting for us on the other side. That's one of the reasons why it's still so easy for me to be a Christian. Cause I'm like the whole story is life, death, and resurrection. And our whole story is life, death, and resurrection. Why do we keep avoiding and fighting and have claw marks with the death? That's the story. <laughs> Every single time we've, to me, I'm like, when I come to this, even right now, like I said, I'm just on the edge of a massive form of letting go of, a church I gave my life to, my wife and I both. I'm in the middle of it. I'm not in the next chapter. I'm in the liminal. I'm in the in-between space right now. And as I sit here, I'm like, I've been here before. 
every single time, whether it was entrusting the church I led to God and trusting my family and trusting my own life, my part, my, my wife, whatever it is, every time I've embraced the death, every time I've walked to what looked like an edge that I was going to fall off a bridge to the future was made whenever I had the courage to keep going. So I'm like, every time I'm like, we've been here before you, you, you've been here before. I bet you have. And last time it worked out well, it didn't go the way you wanted, but it still led to more life. Mm-hmm. And it, I believe that will happen again. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of um, a verse that showed up recently in a Bible study I led that was about when Jesus says, you know, in the world, you will have distress, but take heart. I have conquered the world. You mm-hmm. know that like, I promise you, you will face hard stuff, but mm-hmm. I also promise you there will be a bridge to the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Good. Last question. What is filling your well right now? I've sort of organically created a new tradition with my, with my kids this year. And we we have our, our real Christmas tree was in the living room. And there was a, a fake one we had, a pretty nice one, though, with colorful lights that, like, I surprised them one day when they came home and I put it up in their room. And so they have their own Christmas tree in their room and it's really cool. And one of the things I've done a handful of times is the nighttime routine. You know, my, my daughter's six, so she's starting to read more and more. She'll read me and my son a book. My son will choose a book for me to read, then I'll read from a book. I have like some, you know, kids like Advent book or whatever. But then when that's over, I'll let them lay on the floor with me just in the dark Christmas tree lights on in their room. And I have a playlist of like, you know, whatever slow kind of Christmas music. And we'll just sit there once they calm down, which that could take different times depending on the day. But once they're chill, it's just like under my arms listening to Christmas music, which I love Christmas and just looking at the tree. And I told my wife recently, I'm like, there's an awkward time, like from like 18, you know, to like, whenever we're like, you're like, I always felt there was this weird longing for like the warmth of Christmas as a child. And a part of me wants to like recreate it, but you like, can't, you know, it's like this, like you, but you want to love it and you do, but you're still missing. It's like that. And when I was laying there with them, I told Christine, I was like, when I was laying there, it was like, this, this is what my heart's been waiting for. Mm-hmm. And that Christmas season was just those two, the Christmas music, the lights, and that moment of being present and not just like, I'm tired. Let me just rush out of the room and go chill, you know, or whatever it is. It was like, let me just be present right now and just lay here. And I'm like, this is what, what else is there? You know, that every, this is, the non-productive, the non-moving, whatever. No, this is it. Just being present to love, being present to my kids in that moment during the season. Like that's been really, really special. And I told them, this is our new tradition. So that means we're going to do it next year. We're going to keep on doing it. And when they're 18, I'm like, all right, bring it in. We're all good. <laughs> as long as they let me, I'm going to keep doing that for Christmas. I love that. I love, they'll be like 40 and so into it. I'm like, you, I know your fiance, bring him in. Mm-hmm. There's enough yeah. room right here. <laughs> He's like, this is really weird. She's like, yeah. he loves this. Just let yeah, him. Just let it be. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, Kevin. Will you tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your book and how they can get connected? Yes. The Joy of Letting Go, How One Thing Has the Power to Change Everything will be out on January 3rd. So probably Amazon, you know, Barnes and Noble too. Amazon's best place to get it. 
So check out for that. And also I have my own podcast called The Church Needs Therapy. You can listen to where half of them I do interviews like this and half are like my own teachings or thoughts. And probably day to day, the best way to follow along, the most active on Instagram. So just at Kevin Sweeney one. So yeah, thank you so much again for one, for inviting me on for a second time, you know, in a year. So I'm really grateful for that. You know, if people would be like, oh, I just had this dude on, I don't want him. So I'm really, really am grateful for that. And also, you know, coming off of 10 years of doing what I've done and my wife and I leading Imagine, you know, thank you for your your faithfulness and your ability to continue to do all of the letting go and acceptance that's required to keep loving people, to keep preaching, to keep serving people, and to keep having the audacity to proclaim the good news that we've given our life to. You know, it's it's really, I don't take that work for granted. I know the challenges that come with it. And so, yes, our world needs people who are willing to love and serve like you are. So I, I see that and I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to receive that. I needed that yeah, today. So thank absolutely. you. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean thank yeah. you. Well, have a yes. safe flight. Yes. And, um, thank you again for being here for your work. And I know it'll change a lot of people's lives. So thank you for being mm, here and, and sharing who you are. Yeah. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much, my friends, for being here today. I hope that you look up Kevin's book. You can find links to his social media, to the book, all in our show notes, so you can get connected and read this just powerful. It's a, a mixture of testimony and teaching. And so I hope you go and, and check it out and allow it to, to change you and help you live in this posture of, of letting go and accepting I am so grateful for each of you for being here. I'm so grateful for our sound editor, Bree, and for Kevin for being here, for being our guest and sharing his wisdom with us. I hope that you get connected. There's a variety of ways you can connect with us here at the Lady Preacher Podcast. You can find me on Instagram. We have one for our podcast and my personal one as well, Pastor Kelsey B. That's where I do most of my, <laughs> most of my connecting with you all. Uh, we have a free devotional we put out every Monday morning that you can sign up for. We will also have a Lent devotional we'll be putting out. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And just as always, thank you so much for showing up week after week. We're so grateful for, for your support and faithfulness here in this space. And now, my friend, I invite you to receive this blessing. May you go forth trusting that after big change, after hard things, there will be the promise of new life, the promise of goodness, the promise of love and hope and grace. May you go forth knowing you are held in the loving arms of our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. God be with you always, my friend. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries, and you can find us online at dancingpastor.org or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.